the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Today's Gospel reading begins with the 22nd verse of the 5th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and alive. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had answered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kume, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be pleasing in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Hopefully you found your way in front of a fan this morning. <laughs> Have you ever lost your keys? I did it just yesterday. I'm here working, and Leah says, when are you coming home for dinner? And I was about to come home for dinner when I realized, where did I put my keys? It turned out I left them in one of the pews. <laughs> it's really frustrating, right? Because when you lose your keys, or when you lock them in the car, you have access to something, but you don't. <laughs> I, you, my car was sitting out there ready to take me home. But I didn't have access to it because I didn't have the keys. Today's gospel passage reminds us that Jesus holds the keys to life and death itself. And no one but Jesus holds the keys. 
the sermon today is on Jairus' daughter. Um, and as we look at the texts this morning, I want to look at three things. Number one, how we all desperately, how we all desperately rather, come to Jesus in our helplessness. Number two, how God's priorities and timing isn't our own. Number three, the fact that Jesus holds the keys to life and death themselves. What's going on in this gospel passage? If you have your Bibles, open with me to it. it uh, the actual passage we read is in the um, insert, the green insert, but I think it's helpful to look at the scriptures, particularly in this case, because one of the things you'll notice is that the gospel passage, as it's in the lectionary, skips something. It skips something very important. Do you see that in the gospel passage? We skip from verse 24 to 35 in Mark's Gospel, a whole ten verses. There's reasons for that. The reason is we'll come back and, and we'll, we'll look at that other text. But it's important to the story today because as we see what's going on, we have to realize that Jesus is delayed. So what's going on here? Look with me at Mark chapter 5, verse 21, which is not in your insert, but is in your Bible. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, why is Jesus here beside the sea in front of great crowds? What's going on? Why was Jesus across the Sea of Galilee? Why is he back? To see all the questions that we miss if we don't open the Bible. What's going on here? Those of you that have opened it, what, what's going on? What, what happens earlier in chapter 5? Let's look at the, sub, the subtitles. He heals the demon-possessed man, right? And Father Mike Craniac last week preached on him calming the storm before that, right? So that's the context of what's going on here. Jesus has crossed the sea first in chapter 5 over to an area called the Decapolis, which is the Greek area. That's why there's pigs there, the Greek-Roman area. He casts out the demon, and now he crosses the sea back to Galilee, back to Galilee, probably Capernaum. Okay? So he's back on home territory, as it were. And in verse 22, we see, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. Now, Jairus, the scripture tells us here, is a synagogue ruler. Now, what does that mean? Is he clergy? Is he a Pharisee? We, are, we don't know exactly, but his, history tells us that what's going on here is this is probably like our modern-day senior warden, if you're Anglican, or junior warden, right, or vicar's warden, as we have in our case yet. Like, this is the head layperson of the synagogue. This is the ruler of the synagogue. The, the ruler of the synagogue was responsible for the upkeep of the building, and he was responsible for scheduling the services in the synagogue. So this guy is a well-respected member of the community, right? 
not one of those crummy clergymen. Um, and he comes to Jesus, and don't miss how he approaches Jesus. He falls at his feet and beseeches him. The English translation here is strong, but not strong enough. Seeing him, verse 22, he fell at his feet and implored him, the English reads, earnestly saying, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. How does this ruler of the synagogue know Jesus? How do you think? Yeah. What'd you say? Reputation. Yeah, his reputation has preceded him, right? You know, we might look back earlier in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Well, we don't know this, but we, all, we do see that Jesus goes to a synagogue on the Sabbath and heals a man with a withered hand. Do you remember that? Earlier this year? Right, and he heals the man with a withered hand. We don't know this, but perhaps this ruler was there. If not, he's certainly heard about Jesus. He's heard that Jesus is someone that can heal his daughter of a very serious illness. His 12-year-old daughter is at death's door, as we're going to find out. And this man comes, and the, the Greek is actually parakaleo, meaning he begs him, he beseeches him. It's more than earnestly imploring, right? He's crying out. He's pleading with Jesus. He has earnest faith. And Jesus agrees. Okay. Verse 23. Or verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 24. And he, that is Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now look at verse 25. Here's the ten verses that we're missing in the gospel reading today. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what, he had, what had happened, to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And here's where our reading picks up. Verse 35. While he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You see why it's important to look at the context of what's going on here. Jesus agrees to come with this earnest, pleading father. And what happens? He's held up. Has that ever happened to you? Huh? Every day. Yes, every day. And, you know, it must have been frustrating. It must have been frustrating. 
because the delay causes the girl's death. Let that sink in for a minute. The delay causes the girl's death, the 12-year-old girl's death. Remember, Jesus is the healer at this point in the minds of these people, not the raiser of the dead. He's the great healer, but not the raiser of the dead. So this makes all the difference. Think about it. If you were the father, what would you be feeling at this point? Well, come on, Jesus, let's move along here. Right? Now, you know, the text doesn't tell us that. But I think it's a normal human thing to assume that there's a little bit of frustration. There's instances in the Old Testament of great prophets raising the dead. Elijah does it in 1 Kings 17, and Elisha does it in 2 Kings 4. But this man doesn't have that expectation. So look with me at verse 35. Look at the expectation of those that come from his house. Why trouble the teacher any further? They say. Because it's futile. Why trouble the teacher any further? She's died. That's their response. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus asks Jairus to believe in Jesus more. Remember, Jairus seems to be a good guy, or, or at least he's an earnest guy. He comes and he falls at the feet of this person that's outside of the, the social establishment of Judaism and pleads with him to save his daughter. And here Jesus says, no, believe in me even more than as a healer. Believe in me in something even deeper, even more important than one that can heal your daughter. He's upping the bar gently to this man. Do you see it? There's much in this passage for us, but we can see here that Jesus is calling this man, Jairus, to trust in him fully. If you look at the Greek word behind the word believe, you've heard me say this before, but it's an important point. The word is pistuo. Pistuo, it's not believe like, oh, I believe in the sky, I believe in the sun, I believe that you know, I won't fall through this floor to my death in the basement. It's not that kind of belief. It's not an assent to fact. Rather, it's a trust. It's a deep belief, trusting in the goodness and the power of a person. Pistuo. Jesus says to, the, to Jairus, believe in me in this way. Put your trust in me in this way. Test me in this way. See what I'll do. Jesus knows that he'll do more than Jairus can even ask for or imagine, as we say sometimes in the prayers of the people. And I'm reminded of Jesus speaking in Matthew's gospel to this man where he tells his disciples in Matthew 7 verse 10, Or what man is there among you when a son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Will he? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's Matthew 7, 10 and 11. 
Jesus is about to give this man something more than he asks for. Something more than he asks for. We continue with verse 38 and 39. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people were weeping and wailing loudly. And when they had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. Now, what's actually going on here? Some scholars and commentators have said that the girl's in a coma. But if you say that, you're negating the evidence in Luke's gospel because Luke tells us that she's dead, specifically. Jesus even seems to say that she's sleeping, but the point here is not that she's sleeping, but that to God, death is like sleep. To God, who holds the keys to life, death is like sleep. You know, to us, it's something we can't do anything about. We can, we can put it off. We can treat diseases, right? We can go through procedures. But ultimately, we have no power. We have no key to life over death. Jesus does. It's like sleeping to him. How do we know that she's actually dead? Well, the mourners laugh at him. <laughs> Look at verse 40 in Mark's Gospel. They laughed at him, but he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. There in the presence of Jairus and his wife, Peter, John, and James, Jesus takes the little girl's hand as if she'd fallen and scratched her knee. You ever had that happen with one of your children or maybe a niece or nephew? They've fallen, they've stumbled, they've scraped their knee, and you just come along and you grab their hand and pick them up, dust it off. Maybe you say, rub some dirt in it, you know, it won't kill you. Depending on the child's age, right? That's the idea that's being put forth here by Mark. Jesus doesn't come in and do some kind of magical incantation. He doesn't come in and go through a big show. He just walks up to the girl laying on the bed and picks her up by her arm and says, Get up! Wake up! And lo and behold, she wakes up and she walks around. The scripture tells us she's 12 years old. There's much, so much in this passage. And I want to stop and pause and ask you, where do you see yourself in this passage? Perhaps you're like the anxious father who feels helpless for a child or someone that you love. Are you perhaps like the onlookers looking at God to see the wonderful things that he does? Maybe you're even like the mourners. Maybe you're cynical. Maybe you mock and laugh. Ha! God can't do that. We've all been in all of those places at one point or another, in some circumstance or another, in the way we look at God. And to those in Jesus' day, seeing him as a great healer took great faith. But there had been some precedent. But ultimately, in Jesus' day, the hard thing was taking Jesus as who he said he was. 
author of life, the holder of the keys to life and death, God himself. How often that's our problem too. How often that's our problem too. We like to see Jesus as someone we can call on when we get into trouble. Of course that's true. We like to see Jesus as someone who will fix the problems we're in. And of course that's true too. But Jesus calls us to something more. He calls us to see him as God himself, as the only one holding power over life and death, as the only name, as Romans says, under heaven given for men that they might be saved. We struggle with that too, don't we? Our world says there's many truths. Our world says, you know, the earnestness of someone's faith is what makes them presentable before God. Our world says, well, you know, they might not quite believe in this, but God will give them a pass because they're good people. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it's hard for us in our daily lives to remember that. Because it's easy enough to remember that as a doctrine. It's hard to pastuo it. It's hard to walk in it. It's hard to live it. It's hard to turn things over and trust them to him. How often we rush along anxious in our days. How often we want to accomplish those things that we've got to get done because it's on our list. Do we pass by people who are in need? Our Old Testament lesson warned us not to. Do we pass by people who are needy, who need God's healing power, who need a word of encouragement, who need the seed at least of salvation in their lives? Too often we find ourselves too far from the faith. By which I mean that we have the knowledge but we're not living into it. We're not doing that every, everyday trust in Jesus as the holder of the keys of location, of the master, rather, of the dead, of time and location, of disease, and even death itself. These are not barriers to God. So why can't we bring the smaller things to him in trust? If death itself is like telling a little girl to walk up and walk around, why can't I entrust God with my finances? Do we ever pray about our finances? We should. It shouldn't be like, you know, here's the, here's the world that I figure out, here's the world that God does. It's all God's, right? Or maybe our disease. Are we... Are we eager to bring other people's problems before God but not our own? That's a false humility. God says, bring these problems to me. See that I'm the Lord. Trust me. Do we pray about things that seem hopeless? Or do we just write them off and say, well, that's done. I guess I'll move on. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Too often we find ourselves too far 
from the true identity of Jesus Christ in our lives. Saint Athahat, I love that name. Saint Athahat, he's a Syrian, about living in around 280 AD. He says this, Let us draw near then, my beloved, to faith, since its powers are so many. For faith raised up to the heavens, Enoch, and conquered the deluge. It caused the barren to bring forth. It delivered from the sword. It raised up from the pit. It enriched the poor. It released the captives. It delivered the persecuted. It brought down the fire. It divided the sea. It cleft the rock and gave to the thirsty water to drink. It satisfied the hungry. It raised the dead. It brought them up from Sheol. It stilled the billows. It healed the sick. It conquered hosts. It overthrew walls. It stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the flames of fire. It humiliated the proud and brought the humble to honor. All these mighty works were wrought by faith, by pastoral, by walking and entrusting those things that he lists to Jesus Christ. That's the Lord that we serve. Not a God among gods, but a ruler of all. All people, all nations, all times, all places, life and death and hell themselves. He holds the keys. Let us come to him, humbly beseeching his word and his touch. Let us invite him into our daily lives. Put Jesus Christ over your calendar. Put Jesus Christ over your priorities. Put Jesus Christ over your wallets. Put Jesus Christ over your political positions. Put Jesus Christ over your relationships with others. Put Jesus Christ over even your deepest fears of disease and death. That's what he's asking. Allow yourself to take this step of trust and be amazed at what he does for whether you acknowledge it or not. He is the keeper of the keys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed to us the Father's love. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to approach him. We thank you, Lord, that you give us this faith that will move mountains and conquer even death itself. Help us to live into that each day. Help us to put our trust in it. Help us to put our trust in you. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.